That's astonishing. Oh. It's absolutely world class. Only football can make you feel like this. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Football in Perspective podcast. My name is Wepi Abuntugu and today it's a Bundesliga special with German football expert Derek Ray. So hello and welcome to the podcast and today we have Derek Ray on to share his views on the restart of the Bundesliga and should give us some context as he's, you know, a German football expert, someone who has been commentating on the game for quite a while now and, and we're happy to have him here. Hi Derek, how are you doing? I'm very well. It's great to be with you on your podcast and I hope yeah. that you're well and safe in Ghana. We are doing well. How has lockdown been treating you? Lockdown has been a bit repetitive. Normally, I travel a lot as a commentator, often yeah. in Germany, often in the UK. I live here in the USA in the Boston area. So yeah. I've been getting used to being in the Boston area for quite a lot of the last two months. I can imagine. And with no football as well, it must, it must have been more unbearable. But now the Bundesliga has, has provided a fix for us. It's not the game as we know it, but it's a game in some form. So... So we are here to just find out what you think about this restart and let's get straight into it. So Germany has had about the highest average attendance figures in Europe in terms of their football and, and the fans are a very you know, critical part of the German game where you have you know, feisty atmospheres, buying Schalke, buying Dortmund and so many other Bundesliga games where the fan culture is so important. Returning to, 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 to the pitch without, without fans, what do you think the impact on the game will be? Uh, it's not going to be the Bundesliga as we know it and love it. Uh, a big part of the Bundesliga, as you said, is the fact that the atmosphere is second to none. The fans are almost actors in the drama themselves. Uh, and we're not going to have fans at these games. So it's a bit like one hand tied behind your back. It's football. And I think a lot of people are happy to win football back after this break in the action. Uh, it is, of course, the first high-profile league to come back. And the people who run the Bundesliga, the, the DFL, have been very keen for quite some time now to be back in business because uh, it does come down to the survival of many uh, historic football clubs if there is no restart. So it's um, a case of wait and see. It's week by week. Uh, as Christian Seifert, the CEO of the DFL, said himself very recently, football is on probation and we have to assess exactly how this goes, this experiment with a hygiene plan, with regular testing of players for COVID-19. And it's on with the games. But as I said, it will be week to week initially. Germany have had a, a very high number of um, coronavirus cases recorded and among the highest in Europe. Why do you think it is that they are among the first, the first league to, to be back in action, seeing how far behind the Premier League, La Liga and, and most of the other big European leagues are from actually restarting? 
Well, in terms of number of cases, um, yeah, you look at the number and you think, yeah, that you know, it's it's a reasonable number of cases. But of course, it's a big country of 80 million, and compared to most other European countries, Germany has managed to tackle this with more success. Um, you know, obviously, nothing is a success when you're talking about people dying and people contracting a, a virus like this. But Germany did get ahead of it um, through testing and contact tracing in a way that hasn't necessarily been the case in other countries. And so this has allowed them to begin to think about a plan to come back with sports, in particular with the Bundesliga. Um, so, you know, I will tell you that if you look at opinion polls in Germany, the country is very split on this. And not everybody is a football fan like you or like me. And if you're not a football fan, you might look at this and think um, football is the last thing we should be concerned with right now. There are other more important pressing things. Mm -hmm. And so most of the opinion polls actually show that a slight majority of the German population as a whole would prefer that we don't come back with football just yet. But the decision has been taken. It's been given uh, approval by the various governmental bodies, both at federal government level and at state level. And we have to now wait to see what happens initially on Saturday, Sunday and Monday. Yeah, and the, the DFL has put in a huge number of, of protocols. When you think about it, players are going to be, have to wear masks when they're on the bench. The benches are going to be spaced out. There, there's, there's going to be, you know, the enforcement of the 1.5-meter rule. And the opinion polls are, are, are very split. And around the world, people are actually very split about whether football should be coming back at this time. But like you spoke about at the beginning, it's about the survival of a lot of very old and traditional clubs that are currently not in the financial situation to continue if the league is cancelled. So how much of a factor do you think the money is? The economic factor is a huge factor. Uh, no two ways about that. And everybody around the league will tell you that's the case. Uh, you know, let's face it, people are not coming back to play football this weekend just because there's joy in playing football. There is a financial reason behind it and it has to do with TV payments. And I think German football as a whole has admitted that it has been, to use this expression, sailing a bit too close to the wind. The fact that it is so dependent on... TV rights money uh, in this way tells you that is the case. So there's been a sort of a twin track approach in Germany. On the one hand, there has been this big push um, at a political level um, through lobbying to come back and play football and finish the season. But at the same time, there has been an admission that things cannot continue like this, that there has to be a, a bit of humility, um, a, a, an understanding that yeah, this is how the business has been operated the last few years. But when we get to you know, the new normality, whatever that is and whenever that is, uh, we can't be in the situation where one crisis means that entire football clubs could be erased from the map. So already discussions have been underway with that in mind about um, maybe a leaner, meaner German football machine going forward with uh, less emphasis on big transfer fees, on huge salaries, on certain agents uh, taking a big piece of the football pie. Uh, and even the words salary cap have been mentioned. Now, uh, where I live here in the USA, a salary cap is a traditional part of how sports exist. But of course, in Europe, um, we don't have salary caps as such. But the Bundesliga is very willing to um, talk to UEFA about trying to have this installed as part of football life going forward. So it's, it's distinct from the COVID debate, but it 
at the same time as also part of it because football is beginning to realize that the way it was behaving, conducting itself, wasn't necessarily sustainable with the future in mind. Yeah, the Bundesliga CEO did speak about potential losses of up to 750 million euros. I mean, mirrors in the Premier League where you might have a one billion pound loss if the league is not restarted. And that, that brings into the conversation the 50 plus one rule, which has been in, 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 in force in Germany for a while now. And a lot of people have been saying that there may be a chance that the, the DFL will re- relax restrictions on the 50 plus one rule. But the CEO has been totally you know, adamant by saying that they really don't want to, to, to talk about that rule. How important is that when it comes to German football? And what difference could it make if, if it is removed? Well, I'll tell you, first of all, um, I'll be honest, I'm a big fan of the 50 plus one rule. I think it makes German football distinctly different in a good way. And I think the sentiments behind the 50 plus one are the right sentiments. And the idea is that these are members clubs. If you become a member of your favorite club, if I become a member of my favorite club, we both have voting rights. We're part of the democratic process. And I'd be very sad if that changed. Um, You know, those who believe that it has hampered the development of German football, well, maybe it's hampered the development of German football in comparison with big, big spending. But I think that there's a certain social responsibility that comes with having community involvement like this. And it also means that you cannot, under the law, have a very rich entity from the outside coming in and just buying up the club and changing the face of the club and the tradition of the club. So, um, so that's where I come from on it. Now, there are, of course, examples in Germany of clubs who, uh, you know, some fans believe have come close to undermining 50 plus one. You know, some of the newer clubs, also older clubs who um, have been grandfathered in, clubs like Bayer Leverkusen, for example, and Wolfsburg, who for different reasons have been able to have in their statutes things that you might otherwise think would um, fly in the face of 50 plus one. So it's a very German concept. Um, I think there will be some people who think this is a good time to change it. But I also think that there'll be many who'll say, no, we should not change it at all. And um, it'll be one to watch going forward, no doubt. On, on the last point, the um, UEFA president has been speaking about continuation of UEFA competitions, the Champions League and the Europa League. And do you think it's actually possible that these leagues complete? Because he spoke about that they do not want to continue these leagues after August. Do you think in the current situation that we are going to be able to see an end to the Champions League and the Europa League? I think UEFA, like the DFL, will try. I think they will try very hard, do everything in their power to get it finished, uh, no matter how, even though it might be you know, a very quick ending to the, the two tournaments. I think they are going to want that before things get going next season. But at the same time, I think we're in new territory. And what we learn is that we can't make predictions, that things can change at the drop of a hat, um, and you know, you and I might be talking in two weeks' time, and the conversation is very different based on current events. Yeah. So I think that's the one thing that we have to take out of this whole process. League bodies, governing bodies can say what they want to do, and they will say what they want to do. All of it is subject to government positions and policies. And um, you know, thinking about August right now, you know, we can imagine in our minds what we might have, but the reality could be very different. Yeah. So I think let's take a break here and we'll, we'll come back with the, with the next segment of the, of the podcast. So we are, back, we are back with the 
podcast and and I'm here with Derek Ray and we are discussing the Bundesliga and now I want to move things a bit more onto what we'll see on the pitch. So the last thing from um, the Bundesliga CEO was he spoke about how the transfer markets will probably collapse after after the pandemic happens where you know you have players moving for huge huge sums of money and with the Bundesliga currently um, controlling a huge amount of very viable talent in Europe. You think about Jadon Sancho, Kai Havertz, who would probably have moved for huge sums of money this summer, if not for the, for the pandemic. Do you think it's bad for the league that they, they lose all that possible influx of cash? Or it's better for them to keep the quality players for a season or more? How, what, what do you think the impact is on, on, on the league in that sense? Well, I'm talking here selfishly as a fan of the Bundesliga, somebody who, who likes to see the, the best players uh, possible playing in the Bundesliga. So I'm obviously going to say I hope that players like Jadon Sancho decide to stay on for another year. And, and it is possible, I think, if you make the argument that things are going to change and become a bit more modest, um, it, it is possible to make the argument that um, it, it's good for players to develop on that basis. And somebody like Sancho... Uh, you know, at a time of uncertainty, would you really want to move or are you better off staying where you've had success at a young age where, um, you know, you've made the decision to go to Germany for your own career development? And that was a fruitful decision. So I think it's going to be interesting. And, you know, listening to agents talking and listening to general managers and sporting directors at various football clubs in Germany, uh, they are all of the belief that we are not going to see big money transfers um, I don't really know that we could in the current climate. I think everybody is going to have to slim down a little bit. And that may well mean, certainly in the German context, players who might otherwise have been tempted um, to move to stay. Uh, and also, I think, and this is quite important, I think we're going to see an even greater reliance on youth. And Germany is already well ahead of most other leagues when it comes to giving youth a chance. I think we're going to see more and more of that. That's very true. It's, it's bad news for, for fans of, of teams like Manchester United who are looking to pick off players like Sancho for next season. But like you said, there's going to be heavier reliance on youth now that players can be bought for huge fees. And it'll be interesting to see how different teams cope with promoting academy players into the first team. You think about how a lot of the conversation has been about fairness and completing the league in the most fair way possible, where in France, sporting merit has been used to award the league title and relegation, and some teams are not very happy with that. The Lyon chairman speaking about how he thinks it was unfair that his club didn't get a chance to qualify to the Champions League. And even in Germany, when you think about it, that some teams had to play away games in full stadiums, but now they're going to have to play their home games in empty stadiums. In chance that there's a positive case, they're going to have a huge backlog of, of matches that they're going to have to play at a very fast rate, which will be at a disadvantage to them. And it doesn't really seem like a very fair end to the season. Do you think it's something that we just had to compromise on or there can be some changes that can be made to ensure that teams have a, a, a level playing field? It's not a perfect solution. I think we all have to recognize that, but it's not a, a perfect time in our lives. And so I think football is doing its best to come back under... Difficult circumstances under, you know, strict measures in place. And that can extend to a sporting disadvantage at certain times. Vera Bremen, for example, are a bit unhappy to have to go back and or to have to come back and play as quickly as this because the restrictions in Bremen at governmental level have been more severe 
recently in comparison with other cities. So they feel that they are at a sporting disadvantage based on that. There's also been talk about the league having the power to um, unilaterally change a venue of a game, you know, given certain circumstances, you know, if there were to be, say, a, a an outbreak in a particular city or, uh, you know, some sort of societal change that would call for a, a different venue. Um, you could argue that would be a sporting disadvantage to one team or another. But I think we've got to look at it this way. In an ideal world, and this is not ideal, but in an ideal world, everybody will play the same amount of games against the same number of teams. And ultimately, it does come down to your performances as a team uh, on the pitch and uh, granted, it's not going to be easy. And certainly it's not going to be easy for any of the teams this weekend because think about it this way. They've only had less than a couple of weeks of full contact training. And if that were normally so before a, a season proper, then you know clubs would be up in arms about it. But they're just having to get on with it, uh, knowing that this is imperfect. And that's actually a very neat segue into my next question now. We see in, in Germany with the winter break and in other countries where there's a winter break, you have, especially in the first few weeks after the break, player performance not really being at optimal level. You don't really see the quality of games as you see later in the season. Do you think we're going to have a, a similar showing? Probably. I, I think it, it stands to reason that everything will be a little bit slower, a little bit less slick than it would be if teams were you know, truly into their rhythms. And, you know, that we can't really expect that they will be. Um, not so long ago, they were only training in very small groups, so not able to do training as we know it. And players are going to worry a bit about their fitness, generally speaking, um, on the back of a layoff like this. So um, I think we have to be patient. I think people will be, because it strikes me most who watch are just happy to have some form of high-level football back. And it is clearly going to take some time before things resemble what we normally think of in terms of the quality of the Bundesliga. Yeah, and, and speaking of on the field issues, like which teams do you, you feel have, have benefited? Well, benefit is loosely used in this, in this scenario, but benefited most from, from the break in terms of where they were on the table and how their, their performances were going. And which teams do you think have really suffered from having the layoff or the league truncated when it was? That's a good question. Um, I think Bayern are probably quite happy, you know, to have had the break because, you know, think about it in the, in the context of the season. Bayern, for a long time, were chasing in this unusual position of being the pursuers rather than the team at the top. But only in the weeks leading up to the lockdown did Bayern forge ahead. And um, I think it's always quite a nice situation when that happens. You know, you mentioned the winter break, going into a winter break when a team who's been behind suddenly just gets ahead and then you have a break and everybody else has to think about it for a while. And I think everybody else has been thinking about it for a while that here we go again, Bayern are the, the top dogs in the Bundesliga. And it always takes a, a huge effort for any side to be able to dethrone them. So I, I think Bayern probably felt it came at a good time, uh, maybe for teams like Leipzig and Borussia Dortmund uh, at not such a good time. I look at a team like Hertha, who maybe are quite glad to have had this break. I say that because they now have a new coach in place in Bruno Labbadia. And, uh, you know, they were able to properly turn the page, have a break, readjust to, to new circumstances. 
so I, I think it varies according to the team. I, I think we're going to be surprised. You know, my one prediction about this weekend is that I think there'll be a lot of shocks. I think there'll be things yeah. that happen in games and results that, that you and I couldn't possibly predict. Uh, the Bundesliga is like that anyway. It's a very unpredictable league, as you know, following it closely. But I think yeah. this weekend we, we are going to see shocks and surprises because uh, it goes with the territory when you really have had this long layoff and not an awful lot of training time. That's true, like you said. There's, there's, there's bound to be a lot of, a lot of shocks. Big teams not really having the time to prepare. Hertha, like you said, having a new coach in, you don't really know what to expect from them. And it, it, it will be a very exciting time where the world's eyes are going to be on the Bundesliga and they are going to see maybe not the Bundesliga at its best level, but at least football in some sense, especially in this situation, will all be be especially grateful for any sort of football. Now, another thing I wanted to get your opinion on is, in the end, looking at what the current standings, when you know Bayern, Dortmund, Schalke, Leipzig, Mönchengladbach, all fighting for Champions League spots, how do you think the league is going to finish? Well, at the start of the season, uh, many people were predicting that there was going to be a changing of the guard, that Borussia Dortmund were going to win the title. I even came across a few people who thought Leipzig would be Meister in Germany. Um, I went with I went with Bayern at the start of the season, mm-hmm. and I've seen nothing to change that. Mm-hmm. Now I know that anybody who's not a Bayern fan probably hopes that we do have this changing of the guard, but I still think that it is going to take something very special in the weeks ahead uh, for, for a team other than Bayern to be crowned champions. And looking at the the program the rest of the way, I think it does favour Bayern just a little bit. Granted, they've got to go to Dortmund, which is not going to be easy, never is, but of course a different dynamic with no fans inside the stadium. And I think the job that Hansi Flick has done has been nothing short of tremendous. And we've seen what a great football guy he is. Perfect fit for Bayern. Uh, They they made the change at the right time. And, you know, they do still have the quality. And it it sort of shades of what happens... um, a slightly different way, but shades of what happened when Jupinkas came in uh, when things were not going so well under Carlo Ancelotti. They had the confidence uh, in the club to make that change, to bring in somebody who they thought could turn it around, albeit initially on a short-term basis, but he has had the desired effect. A lot of um, people watching the Bundesliga for the first time will be looking for teams to get behind and throw their support behind. Personally, what, what, what's your favourite team and which teams will you recommend to to, 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 for people to follow? Well, as a neutral commentator, I suppose I should say follow everybody, but um, <laughs> yeah, we all have our favourites, of course. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, team that, um, the team that speaks to me and, and always has as a club since I first began taking a strong interest in German football back in the 80s is Kern. And uh, Köln are a, a very special club. Um, Spürbar Anders is the, the motto. Feel the difference. You can certainly feel the difference. How many other clubs have a live goat as their mascot? <laughs> um, that, that, yeah. That's Köln for you. Yeah. And, and it's a great city. It's the carnival city. They, they love their, their, their sort of clownish parties and, and just having a good time. And everybody is very relaxed. It, it's a great city. And um, the thing about the football club is they don't win an awful lot nowadays, but they win your heart because um, everybody cares so much about that team in the city of, of Cologne and um, they will take you on a, on a journey. So if you're looking for a team to follow, that will really win you over uh, without necessarily being contenders to win 
the Bundesliga, certainly not this season at any rate. I'd look at Köln. I might look at Union, you know, who are a great story back in the Bundesliga or in the Bundesliga for the first time. Um, you know, team from the former East Germany. I covered them in the playoff at the end of last season when they did it against Stuttgart uh, over two legs. And, and what a story that is, a team, as I say, from the, the former East Germany, the German Democratic Republic. They were the team of the trade union movement back then. And nobody in their wildest imagination thought they would be promoted to the Bundesliga, but here they are. So Union from um, Southeast Berlin would be another one. Um, you can go down the list. I, I always say to people, just do a bit of studying of all the clubs and you will find one that will be your club because they all have personalities. Um, each region has its own personality as well. And you can find a club that, uh, that I think speaks to you based on that. We'll take a little breather and we'll come back to talk about something that a lot of people have been excited about since I announced you as the guests in terms of your exploits with EA Sports and, and their FIFA game. And, and, and we'll come back to that as well as a few questions from listeners in the next part. So welcome back to the last part of the show. And here we have a few questions from listeners. There's NK Asab on Instagram who asked, what's your favorite club? Well, I suppose the answer to that is, um, was the question uh, favorite club just in Germany or, or favorite okay, well, club Okay, well, yeah, it was generally? favorite football club, favorite football club. Favorite football, football club. Well, I mean, really, I'd have to say my favorite football club is Aberdeen because that's where I'm from in yeah. the northeast of Scotland. And in yeah. fact, just this very week, we've been commemorating the 37-year anniversary of Aberdeen's biggest triumph, which a lot of people might not know. It was in 1983 in the final of the European Cup Winners' Cup, which back then was one of the big European competitions in the days before the Champions League. And Aberdeen beat Real Madrid, no less, in the final of that 1983 Cup Winners' Cup. And our manager, you probably heard of him, was a guy called Alex Ferguson back wow. in 1983. <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I was a 16-year-old at the time. I went to all the games. And um, I was very lucky, very blessed to live through that, you know, to, to grow up with that as my footballing experience. And some terrific players played for that Aberdeen team. Now, nowadays, we are not as good as we were then. Mm -hmm. Things have changed. The economics of football have yeah. changed and teams yeah. from Scotland, where I'm from, are not likely to compete for European trophies. But back then, we were able to do that. And I still follow them and they will always be my team. But in Germany, Köln, uh, and it goes back to my time as a student in Germany in the 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, they were a great team to follow then too with the likes of Pierre Litbarski and Thomas Hessler and uh, Tony Schumacher, the goalkeeper. But, you know, since then, uh, they have been more of a, a sort of a yo-yo team, an up-and-down team, you never quite know, with relegations in there, a bit of heartache, uh, as well as, uh, as wonderful moments too. So, um, so Kern, but I also have a, a small a club that I've just become an ambassador for, and that's a small club called Berwick Rangers. Uh, mm -hmm. And Berwick Rangers are a very famous team in Scotland because um, they actually are from England across the border. They're from two or three miles across the border from mm -hmm. Scotland. So they're technically in England, but they've always played in the Scottish leagues. Mm -hmm. And um, they are uh, a very you know, small club, but they were responsible for the biggest upset in the history of Scottish Cup football back in 1967 when they beat the big Rangers. So you had the wee Rangers, as we call Berwick Rangers, beating the big Rangers. Mm -hmm. And so they very kindly asked me recently, would I be an ambassador for them to spread the word about their history and their plans for the future around the world? So that is one of my teams as well, Berwick Rangers. 
that's amazing. Another question from Adi underscore Caesar on Twitter saying, how do you feel about the Bundesliga finally getting the worldwide exposure it deserves and what does it need to do to maintain this in the future? I'm a little bit disappointed that it's coming at a time when we're not going to see fans. But I do hope that it makes people more curious about the Bundesliga. I hope it has the effect of making people have a longer look. And maybe it will have the effect of making them say, OK, I'm going to pay more attention to the league in future. What was the second part of the question? Sorry, I got the first bit. Yeah, and what does it need to do to maintain this in the future? Yeah, well, I think that the Bundesliga, um, you know, does offer high-quality football. So I, I think the Bundesliga will carry on doing what it does and being what it is. And I know that uh, around the world it does have a following. I think it would be, you know, dishonest to say that the Premier League is not a bigger property around the world. I think we all know that that is the case. But what I find is that once people sample the Bundesliga they tend to have it as part of them for life. Another question from Conrad on, on, on Instagram is saying, what's the most dramatic match you've, you've commentated on like throughout your whole career? What was the most dramatic game? Well, it's a great question. And um, there's actually a very easy answer to that because um, there's one game that stands out above all others. I've been lucky enough to cover many incredibly emotional matches. But in 2005... Uh, I was working for ESPN and I was the main commentator for the Champions League on ESPN. And we had rights to to the the Champions League for a good number of years. 2005, we went to Istanbul in Turkey to cover the final. And the final that year was AC Milan against Liverpool. Now, in those days, Milan were the class of Europe. I mean, what a great team they were. I loved watching them. I loved everything about them. I just thought they they oozed quality. Liverpool back then were not the Liverpool that we think of now. They were a Liverpool team that was by no means the best team even in England. You know, they they probably were fourth or fifth best at the time. It was a bit of a ragtag and bobtail Liverpool, but somehow they got to the final. And most people thought they're not going to beat Milan. Well, it was 3-0 to Milan after 40-odd minutes. And I can tell you, I was looking at my commentary notes, making sure I had in my head uh, what the biggest margin of victory was in a European <laughs> final. So convinced wow, that this is going to end up 6 or 7-0. Yeah. But Liverpool produced the comeback of all comebacks. And they, they scored three goals early in the second half. It went to extra time. Liverpool eventually prevailed on penalties. And um, it was just a roller coaster of a night in mm. Istanbul. And I don't think, mm. when you consider that was a major final, I doubt we'll ever get a major final like that again that offers as much drama for a commentator. So that one would be would be the first. A close second might be the um, my favourite derby in Germany, which is the Revier Derby between Borussia Dortmund and Schalke. And this was a, a more recent one, 2017. I was with the great Stefan Freund commentating for the Bundesliga World Feed. And Borussia Dortmund were 4-0 up at halftime. Again, absolutely cruising, coasting. I was doing the same thing, making sure I had um, available to me what the biggest margin of victory was in a Revier derby. Schalke came from 4-0 down to make it 4-4 with the fourth goal coming right at the end from Naldo, the Brazilian defender, a header yeah. to make it 4-4. And, yeah. and in commentary, I said, uh, I said, I'll tell you what, this is why they call it the mother of all derbies. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, stand by those words. Yeah. It was yeah. just an amazing occasion. Yeah, I remember, I remember watching the highlights of that in preparation for the, for the show. And it's very, very ironic that the last goal came from a defender seeing us 
how horrible the defending yeah. was on, on that day. Let's move on to, to the last bit that I want to talk about here. It's with Michi Batshuayi. And they've only gone and applied that finish. It's FIFA. It's, it's the FIFA EA Sports FIFA yeah. game. And I want to know what has been your experience with them. Okay. It's just been a huge honor and a great thrill. Yeah, 20, um, well, 2017 was when I first was contacted by, by FIFA. But uh, FIFA 19 was the first uh, game that I was actually part of. So um, I was approached by them at the end of 2017. Uh, couldn't say too much about it because, you know, that's the way these things go. Uh, and then it was announced in June of the following year that Lee Dixon and I would be the commentary team for the Champions League. And um, it has just been, you know, great fun from day one. They're, they're wonderful people to work with. Very proud to call them all teammates of mine. And um, it's a, a very collaborative process. We talk it over as a team, uh, what works, what doesn't work. And, you know, a lot of it comes down to, um, you know, thinking on your feet. And uh, what you've got to remember is when I'm doing the, the FIFA commentary, I'm not seeing you playing the game. So yeah. all yeah. my commentary is done without the benefit of actually seeing it. So I'm having to, to sort of, you know, go through the theater of the mind process and uh, visualize these situations and come up with words that might be appropriate. It's been great having you on the show, on to speaking about the Bundesliga, speaking about your commentary career in general and, and then FIFA as well. And I hope we, we, we have this chance to, to meet again later. Well, let's make a point of doing it again at some yeah. point in the future. Yeah. And yeah. let me wish you all the very best of luck. Just want to encourage you and, and, and hope that all goes well. Thank you so much for all your questions. Get in touch with us on Instagram and Twitter. Search Football in Perspective. And until next time.